Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The I hope you had the time of your life. Addition as we look back at one of the most memorable seasons in Bengals history. Coming up, I'll be joined by my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, as well as Bengals.com editor, Jeff Hobson. And in addition to discussing our favorite moments from the Bengals Super Bowl season, we'll answer many of the Ask Lap questions that you submitted on Twitter. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since my dad. My father, Larry Horde, passed away two nights before the Super Bowl at the age of 85. I wrote about my dad on Facebook, and I hope you don't mind if I read part of that post to begin this podcast as a tribute to a great role model. My parents divorced when I was young, so I don't remember living with my dad, but fortunately, my folks did a wonderful job of remaining civil for the sake of me and my sisters. I never heard either of them say a bad word about the other, and although we lived with my mom, we spent a lot of time with my dad. Sunday afternoons at my grandmother's house, camping trips in the old school bus that he converted into an RV, and summer vacations to historical places like Washington, D.C., and Plymouth Rock. My very first memory of my dad is calling him at work and asking for stuff. It was basically, hi daddy, can you bring me whatever? I was probably four or five years old and what I remember is that he always came through. Now maybe he didn't bring me the thing that I asked for, but if I made that phone call, he would come by the house after work to see me. In retrospect, I suppose that's really why I made the call. Anybody that knew my dad can relate to that story because he loved to help people. Maybe it was a ride to or from church. Maybe it was help with a handyman project where he showed up with his toolbox and fixed what needed to be fixed. Maybe it was just being there in a time of need when a friend needed a shoulder to lean on. If he was able to, my dad always came through. Another early memory of my dad involved a ship in a glass bottle. He had a very detailed and elaborate version of one of those. I don't know if he built it or bought it, but I remember thinking it was the most amazing thing I had ever seen until I dropped it and broke it into a million pieces. The guilt was overwhelming, and I was terrified by how mad my dad would be. But he wasn't or at least he didn't let it show. Instead of being angry, he comforted me, assured me that it was an accident and that he could easily get another one. Anybody that knew my dad can relate to that story too. My dad was kind. My dad was caring. My dad was forgiving. The best job I ever had was working for my dad after my freshman year of college when he owned the Upholsters of Jamestown, My job that summer, along with my friend Jim, was to remove car seats so that the upholstery could be redone. Once the work was finished, Jim and I had to put the seats back into the car. The job itself kind of sucked, but I loved it because I got to be around my dad every day that summer. I got to see him at work, 
interacting with employees and customers, and I got to observe his craftsmanship firsthand. There are two things I clearly did not get from my dad, his hair or his ability to fix and build things. He was a very skilled man who paid tremendous attention to detail to the things he worked on and built. Furniture, antique cars, model train sets, model airplanes. As I mentioned earlier, the man actually turned an old school bus into an RV. My dad was especially proud of two things, his service in the Marine Corps and his family. He loved God, he loved his country, and he loved his friends and family. One of the most meaningful things he ever said to me occurred when my son was born. He said, now you'll truly know how much you mean to me. My dad was a very loving man. A few weeks ago, there was a story about me in my hometown newspaper describing how I would have the opportunity to broadcast the Super Bowl as the radio voice of the Cincinnati Bengals. A few days before he died, my stepsister read that story to my dad, and he was smiling and responsive. I'd like to think it was a final happy moment before he passed away. I do know this. He didn't need a radio or the internet to listen to my broadcast. He caught every word. I cherish those memories, and I'm grateful to have had as many years with my dad as we did. He was a wonderful man. Now, time for my conversation with Dave Lapham and Jeff Butch Hobson. Well, we can't say it was the best team in franchise history since the 81 and 88 teams also made it uh, that far, but it might be the most remarkable team in franchise history, considering 625 and won the previous two years and a quarterback coming back from major surgery. Lap, what will you remember most about the 2021 Bengals? I, I think their uh, resiliency and never give up attitude. You know, they were behind double digit scores in multiple games, uh, big games, you know, against good teams that clinched the division title, uh, clinched the conference championship. I mean, that's, that's some pretty powerful stuff, you know, when you feel like no matter what, no matter what the circumstance, we have confidence we can come back, you know, get things right, square it away and uh, win this football game. And it, it became like a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know? I mean, once they did it once, it was like, we're going to do it again. We're going to do it again. And it, it just, I mean, that, that stuff becomes powerful. You know I mean? It's just, it's almost like, uh, don't even question it. It's, it's, it's part of our makeup. It's part of our DNA. That's what this football team was all about. It, it was very impressive. There's, there's no two ways about it. And I agree. I think, I think this team might've been as, as impressive a, a turnaround as there is in franchise history, Never mind. Uh, or NFL history, I should say, never mind franchise history. I mean, it, it was crazy. How about you, Butch? I was thinking, I wasn't thinking about me uh, when you floated that question out, Hordy. I was thinking about the kids who are eight, nine, 10 years old now, uh, because I think this team, this will be their team for all time, just yeah. for all the things that Lap, Lap talked about, all the comebacks, how surprising it was. And the Bengals will be their team. I, I, you know, and maybe it's because I'm kind of a, 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 a romantic lush when it comes to the 67 Red Sox. But to me, there's some uh, there's some similarities. Finished uh, a game and a half out of last place in 66. Nobody gave them a shot. 
Uh, they came out of nowhere in 67. And that's the year I started. I was eight years old. I, I didn't know who the Red Sox were in 66, but I sure did in 67. And that's why I fell in love with the Red Sox. And the 67 team will always be my team. So there's eight, nine-year-old kids in Anderson and Cheviot and uh, uh, Covington. This is going to be their team. This is going to be their 67 Red Sox, the 21 Bengals. And when they go to their grave in 85, when they're 85, you know, they'll be, they'll, they'll probably be, the kids will be talking about that, uh, that 21 Bengals team. It's a, uh, it was that, I think, I don't think I'm overdoing it to say it was that kind of team. Yeah. I'm with you there. I think the energy created by the team with the fan base really stands out to me as well. We always hear coaches and executives at various points refer to their fans as we've got the greatest fans in the world. And I remember Rick Minter doing that when the UC football team played in the humanitarian bowl, it was their first bowl game in more than 40 years. And he's on that blue turf in Boise, Idaho, after they beat Utah state, let's go Bearcat fans. We got the Bearcat greatest fans in the world. And at that point it was a very small, I mean, there might've been 20 Cincinnati fans that made the trip out of, out to Boise and the UC football fan base was just growing at that point. It's awesome now, but back then it was small, but loyal. Uh, but people always say that, but I really do think the Bengals might have the greatest fans in the world. I mean, the way that this city rallied around this team this year, the scene when they got back from the Super Bowl, the fans chanting who day in Tennessee and at Kansas City in big numbers. It was incredible to me. And as we do this podcast, I'm, I'm recording it from Orlando. I went for a run this morning in a Bengal shirt and I'm getting stopped on the UCF campus by people just going like, Hey, Bengals, are you a Bengals fan? We love the Bengals. So for whatever reason, uh, this team has really captured the imagination, not only of Cincinnati, but football fans all over the country. It's incredible. That's what I was going to say, Dan, uh, Joe Burrow is maybe, I don't know if you do the Q, uh, what do they call it? The Q rating or the Q score or whatever mm -hmm. on Joe Burrow, he may be as high as there is in the world. I mean, I'm not kidding you. This, 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 uh, you know, everybody loves the underdog and the Bengals were the underdog. I mean, they were the team, like you said, 625 and one the last two seasons. And then they go to the Super Bowl. There's, that's not, there's not any bigger underdog than that. I mean, that's, that's just an incredible, uh, incredible situation. And, and I mean, we all have friends all over the, all over the country. And I'm telling you, everybody that I've reached out to me and I've reached out to, it's like, man, Everybody loves this Cincinnati Bengal football team. I mean, it's it's a story that uh, that all human beings want to relate to. You know, it it, it makes their uh, whatever their goals and dreams are in life, it makes them more plausible, more uh, more achievable. You know, I mean, it, it's it's something everybody just can jump on and grab a hold of and and uh, and go for a ride with. And 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 it's it's amazing how it's it's caught fire. I think on a and, and like you say on an international basis because. Uh, you know, I doing NFL Europe games for a few years. I mean, the NFL is bigger than people realize, particularly in, in Germany and play certain certain hotspots in, in Europe. It, it's pretty it's big now. And uh, so internationally, it's <laughs> the NFL is a powerful, powerful uh, machine. I'm telling you, it's a it's a 900 pound gorilla. There's no doubt. And the Bengals have the modern Joe Namath. Yeah. He's, he's not the playboy that Joe Namath was, but he is the most effortlessly cool star athlete out there right now. 
And it's a wonderful thing when you add how great of a player that he is. All right, next topic. What was your favorite game and or moment this season? Butch, you go first. I think uh, it had to be the, well, there were two of them. The playoff game at home. And I was thinking, I'm thinking of uh, my daughter, uh, Carrie, who is no doubt going to listen to this podcast because she listens to them all. God love big Carrie. Fans, big fans of Hordy and Lap. But I, I know she was in the stands. I know, well, she was there and uh, saw her before the game. And I know that she was probably like everybody else in the building. I, she was crying when Jermaine Pratt picked that ball off. I mean, you, it was, you know, Hordy, you talked about this, uh, the, the Momo and Tez picked the ball off in 15 while Pratt picked the ball off and Carrie and Kevin were in the stands. They were crying and it was perfect. This time they were able to keep crying <laughs> because the interception held up. And the other moment I remember is just being on the field in Kansas city after they won the AFC championship and the day's look on a couple of NFL uh, radio reporters and producers and watching Boomer size and getting pictures taken with some of his old teammates, Icky Woods, Joe Kelly. And Bob Boomer, the poster boy of that 88 team, reveling in it, loving the moment. Um, that was uh, that was great, too. Lap? I think that the, the, the first game that really impressed me uh, about this football team was when they went to Baltimore and took them apart. You know, and uh, Harbaugh's worst defeat in Baltimore as a head coach came at the hands of this Cincinnati Bengals football team. And I'm like, you know what, man, this might be a better team than I thought it was going to be. And that, that was kind of the, with me, it was like, well, you know, they, they, the, the come from behind stuff started right away. I mean, even the Oker, you know, against Minnesota, they, they, they clutched the, uh, from the jaws of defeat, you know, they, they clutched this victory uh, on a very amazing, in a very amazing way. But, but I'd have to say having played, in an AFC championship game and understanding the pressures of that to be down by 14 points, three different times and keep coming back and then ultimately win the football game. To me, you know, you, you get down early and, you know, now you're starting to try to mount a comeback and they, they still like kind of, okay, I'm going to, I'm answering. I'm, I'm keeping that 14 point lead. And you don't, you don't say, ah, oh, geez, well, we gave it a shot, man. You, you keep rolling, man. You keep slugging and punching. And, and then to do what they did to an offense, an offense of structure like Kansas City has, uh, coordinated and put together by Andy Reid, one of the best all time, and executed by a quarterback that's amongst the greatest. And for the Bengals defensively to do what they did in the second half to that, that triumvirate there, that trio, unbelievable to me. Unbelievable. I mean, they shut Hill out. They hold Mahomes to 50 yards passing. I mean... They made, they made it look like a Pop Warner football team, like they didn't know what they were looking at. It, it just totally was mind-boggling to see what uh, that defense did in the second half of the Kansas City Chiefs in such a big game on the road. I mean, that fan base was stunned, stunned, you know, and uh, that, that, was, that was memorable to me. I mean, that had an impact on me because in those, in those big games, to be able to pull that off, the way they pulled it off, I was like, ooh, that's, that's, that's strong right there. The game for me was the home playoff win over the Raiders just because it was so cathartic. We don't have to hear about the playoff drought again now for the next, hopefully, you know, right. long, long time. Uh, and then moment, it was Kansas City getting stopped 
on the pass to Tyree Kill just before halftime of that AFC championship game. Those are the types of moments, unfortunately, that have gone against the Bengals in recent history over the last 10, 20 years, whatever it might be. It was about time that one of those signature moments went their way to help them get over the hump and win a game of that magnitude. All right, let's move to the Super Bowl. When your team loses, everybody second guesses decisions that didn't work out. Fans, media, even the coaches that, that made those decisions. That's just the way it goes. So here's the question. If you could put yourself in Zach Taylor's shoes and do one thing differently in the Super Bowl, what would that thing be? Lap, you go first. I would have uh, blocked with as many people as it took to protect Joe Burrow a little bit longer. I mean, I would have gone with seven-man protections if I had to, uh, you know, to, to get that done on an every snap basis. I would have triple-teamed Aaron Donald if I had to um, because, you know, when you look at it, it's like, okay, well, it's a numbers game. You leave more than five people blocking. You know, they've got, they're only rushing four. You have five blocking four or, you know, scenario where they went five on five and got one-on-ones, which was a big factor. They went five man rush and got their one-on-one matchups and Bengals couldn't hold up one-on-one. So in that case, put more guys in there to help them, you know, go with six, go with seven man protections, uh, whatever the case may be, you were running it well enough. You, you had established Joe Mixon a little bit with where the, the, uh, the trickeration play, the halfback touchdown pass worked because they had, respected the run well enough where guys get sucked up uh, trying to stop the run. So play action, that's max protection. A play action game is, is extra blockers. To me, you know, it, it's like, all right, well, you only have two or three guys on a, out in a route and you get all these guys in coverage. Well, you only attack with the pass rush they have. You only attack one area of the field anyway. Quarterback doesn't stand back there and survey the whole field. And, oh, yeah, well, I think I'll take this one. Against that pass rush, all you're doing is hoping to get enough where you can scheme something up on one area of the field where you can beat them, you know, and forget the other areas. They, know they don't have anybody to even cover or worry about, but you don't have time to survey the whole field and scan. I, I would have concentrated more on protecting Burrow because, you know, there were, there were multiple instances of if he had a little bit more time, just another half a beat, including the last play of the game. I mean, Jamar Chase. Jalen Ramsey falls down. Jamar Chase has a stand-up touchdown. If uh, if Joe Burrow has time to look look at him, look for him. Um, but again, uh, that that's what I would have done. I would have made, particularly in the second half when they were overwhelmed by that pass rush, I, I would have take I would have kept as many bodies as I possibly could in to give Joe Burrow a puncher's chance to at least look for a couple of receivers, you know, not the whole field, but just two looks, you know, and, and if, if it's not there, throw it away. If it's not there, if you have an area to scramble, get back to the line of scrimmage or whatever, go ahead. But I mean, to just uh, to take the beating at beating uh, after beating they took in the pass rush like that, I would have tried to change that a little bit. Butch, how about you? Yeah, I just would have taken the last drive of overtime in Kansas City and just tried to replicate that every time out uh, in SoFi. Uh, would not have left the – would have made a vow not to leave the building without giving, you know, Joe Moore, uh, Joe uh, Mixon uh, 23, 24, 25 carries um, and gone under center, you know, just kind of try to take the playbook from Las Vegas and Denver and try to muddy it up a little bit. But that said, uh, that's easy. 
uh, the second guest is a big brother of hindsight. Uh, <laughs> and I tip my hat to Zach Taylor. I know he's getting grilled. I still think he ought to be coach of the year. He did a hell of a job. I mean, we can all sit back there and do it. And of course, I'll be the first one to rave about the running game. But I thought, uh, you know, I think Zach should still be coach of the year. I'm sure Zach is second guessing all of this stuff, just like we are. That That's what happens when you, you know, lose a game of this magnitude and lose it in a, a close fashion with a game winning touchdown being scored with less than a minute and a half to go. I will zone in on a very specific thing. Final drive of the game. I'm not running. I'm going to put it in Joe Burrow's hands and I'm going to let him try to pass his way down the field. That's me. Now they, <laughs> they only ran once. So I'm only really talking about one snap. Uh, but even that one snap, when you run the ball, clock's going to run. If you don't get it, it makes it that much more difficult. So for me, very minor thing. I don't even have an issue with uh, Samaj P. Ryan being out there to me. I'm just, I'm letting Burrow try to get you far enough uh, to get within the range of Evan McPherson to, to tie it or possibly to take you all the way down the field uh, to win it. All right. Next topic after the game, I think I've seen approximately 8,726 stories that have basically followed this theme. Sure, Joe Burrow is great, but Dan Marino never got back to a Super Bowl after going in his second year. Aaron yep. Rodgers has only been once. Drew Brees has only been once. It's going to be very hard for the Bengals to make it back. And all of that stuff is true. But here's my counter. The Bengals were ahead of schedule. The roster should get better. They've got cap space. They've got all of their draft picks. Most of their best young players are signed for several more years. Now, getting better doesn't mean that you make it back to the Super Bowl next year. You need injury luck. You need luck in general. But am I crazy to be confident that the Bengals are going to make it back to a Super Bowl sometime in the next three or four years, assuming that Joe Burrow's healthy? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, when Marino didn't make it back, that was that was before free agency, you know. So you got more ways to help yourself right away than you did back in the day. Um, and I, you know, uh, look at how young they are. I don't know how, you know. I mean, that's that's the thing that is striking to me. I don't think any of their key players were are over twenty seven years old, and they're under contract, you know. So uh, yeah, I, I uh, I'm with you, Dan. I mean, and it, I mean, it, it, you know, you hit the head. I mean, the two things you have to avoid, it seems like, are penalties and injuries. They were the least penalized team in the, uh, in the league. And really, their injuries, they didn't, you know, compared to the last couple of years, they had really no significant injuries. So, I mean, I, I can they do that again? And I, I just think, I don't know what the standard's going to be, but they're going to have a shot every year. And to me, that's all you want with a guy like Burrow. And they're going to have a shot. And if you get if you get beat in like the first round because of a flag or if you get beat in the second round, because you know, you may be down two guys. I don't think that means you suck. I mean, I think that's part of living. I mean, I think you're in it. So I think they can go back to the Super Bowl just because of Burrow. But if they don't, I don't think that means that uh, we get the Hindenburg here. <laughs> Lap. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think they can as well. I think they have a special guy at quarterback. Um, even even the, the the pressure that he was under in the second half of that Super Bowl, they could have won that football game. 
I mean, the, the guy is, he's a, he's a special player. There's no question about it, but you look at the teams, I mean, New England Patriots, the most obvious example of it, they go a million times with Brady and Belichick because the rest of the division sucked. I mean, they didn't even have to get out of bed to win the NFC East, no competition. So, you know, all year long, I mean, they're sweeping their division and they got a leg up on it and they're going to get, they're going to get a high seed. You know, they, yep. they're going to be division winners. They're going to be one of the four. They never were going to be a wild card. They're going to, you know, get, get a high seed and, and potentially home field advantage through the playoffs because the rest of the division just did not compete. This division, whew, this division is brutal. Winning the AFC North is a much different dynamic. I mean, that's the first goal and that's as tough a goal as there is in my opinion. I mean, I, I really think the Bengals from one to 53 we're about as solid a football team as there was around the league. You know, I mean, now the LA Rams, they had their Hollywood superstars and they obviously made plays and won the Super Bowl. but there, I take the Bengals roster one to 53 depth wise over the, over the Rams. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you another team that has a hell of a roster one to 53 is the Cleveland Browns. You know, they, they had some injuries, particularly a quarterback. What's the common denominator that both, that both quarterbacks were in their rookie contracts. So, you know, they can make, they can really build a roster, you know. And so there's a window there uh, for the Bengals. And, uh, you know, Baltimore, the Baltimore Ravens finished the year with 24 guys on injured reserve, 10 starters on injured reserve. That football team, if they come back healthy and stay healthy, that's a son of a gun, too. I mean, you're, and if Pittsburgh gets a quarterback, we know what they have defensively. We know they got a running game. They're going to have to work on their offensive line like the Bengals. But, I mean, they've got some pieces now. So, I mean, the AFC North is tough, a tough division. You know, Aaron Rodgers, you know, cakewalks through the regular season in the, in the NFC North. Just cakewalks through it, you know, and uh, when he was been with Green Bay. That's why one reason I think he might consider it is, man, I go somewhere else. I go to Denver in the AFC West as opposed to staying competing in the NFC North. I mean, man. So I, I, I think I think those are all all big factors. But yeah, I mean, can they can they compete and can they win the division? Hell yeah. Um, but they have to. This was the perfect storm. They stayed relatively healthy. Uh, other teams didn't in the division, and uh, and they took full advantage of it. And then they started playing their best football at the most opportune time in the playoffs, particularly defensively. I mean, they peaked defensively at the absolute best time. So. You know, when you have a when you have a magical season like this one, and it was right there for the grab, and you just couldn't quite grab hold of it, man, that's tough. That's what's frustrating because, man, they got so close to finishing it off, and it was just they could have they could have finished the perfect storm with it with a big ride, man. There's no question about it. But uh, uh, can it be repeated? Yeah, it can be. Is it going to be easy? Hell no. <laughs> Not KFC North. It ain't going to be easy. There's no doubt about it. So I assume Joe Burrow would be the team MVP if all of us uh, had to vote on that. So here's my next question. Who are your top three non-Joe Burrow team MVPs? Lap, you go first. You know, I, I'd have to say um, Joe Mixon for, for what, he, what he provides, not just from a physicality standpoint in terms of you know, when Joe Mixon uh, gets it going, when Joe Mixon makes a big play, he lifts the entire football team. He lifts the entire, you know, fan base when he's at home. Um, he, he's, he's kind of a lightning rod that way, you know? So I, I'd, have to, I'd have to say that uh, 
you know, that Joe's up there, you know, obviously there, it's so, so much easier to pick other guys offensively. Um, you know, the, the obvious connection between, you know, Burrow and, and Chase is, you know, that's MVP at like two, but I mean, I think Joe gives, uh, you know, what, what he provides his teammates in the locker room and the intangibles, the leadership part of it. I, I'd, uh, I'd have to, I'd have to lean on, on Joe as being an extremely important player to the success of the Cincinnati Bengals. Let's put it that way on and off the field. Butch. I couldn't, couldn't agree more about Mixon lap. I, I, endorse everything you say about that uh, uh, on and off the field. I, I, I think I circled the overtime against Kansas city. He was just absolutely huge and he was huge in key parts. Uh, you know, he, they, they didn't give him the ball enough to string together some dominant performances that you would think of, but you know, big red zone touchdown in Tennessee, you know, um, and, 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 and carrying him on their back in Vegas. And it, to me, the biggest game, the biggest regular season game of the year uh, that win in Vegas coming out of the bye, um, you know, was huge. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm mixing all the way. The other two, I think what Horty gave us three, I would have, I would obviously go with Chase, and I think I go with Hendrickson on defense. I think Hendrickson was, uh, you just can't, uh, I mean, well, 14 sacks. I mean, that's just, uh, you know, that's TJ Wattish. You know, you just can't, uh, you can't write that off how important that is. I would go Chase. Uh, it's hard to go against Mixon. He's the heart and soul in many ways of the entire roster. But Chase just transformed the offense so much. I mean, uh, NFL Network did a top 10 Bengals plays of the year kind of thing a week or two ago. And like the first six were Chase and they were just such big momentum swinging plays. Those plays early in the year at the end of the half and every game that just swung the, the game in the Bengals favor. So I'd have to say Chase defensively, I kind of fall on Mike Hilton, another heart and soul kind of guy. I thought his leadership was off the charts. Uh, the kind of accountability he brought to that position group, I thought was incredible. And I got to throw in Evan McPherson. I know he's a kicker. Yeah. It's hard to include him in an MVP discussion, but the fact that the Bengals needed to gain 10 fewer yards on every drive to get points because of his range. And then you throw in the clutch factor with five walk-offs during the course of the year. Yeah. Uh, if, if a kicker can be mentioned as one of your top three most valuable players, then he deserved being mentioned. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I'll tell you, uh, Joe Mixon and Jamar Chase are the perfect example of, all right, a running back that's going to pound and do the blue collar dirty, be physical, pound you, make you load the box up. And then Chase kills you. Oh, can't load the box up. Got to go defend Chase. Now Joe hurts you. And it's like, pick your poison. Do you want to die quickly? Do you want to die slowly? You're going to die somehow. <laughs> Which way do you want to die? You know, it's one of those kind of things. So uh, th- those guys are like the perfect cocktail of, of that type of thing. And, you know, obviously Chase is the guy that's going to make the big explosives. But if it's not for Joe Mixon pounding away, you know, and, and making that front, that, that making defensive coordinators change the box. And then now, that trickles down to coverage changes and more holes in the secondary for Chase to take exam- uh, advantage of. I mean, that's a one-two punch that's as good as there is in the league in that regard. There's no question. I remember when they took uh, Chase, I talked to Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator, and he said, you know, we just helped our running game and our offensive line because now they can't put uh, they can't put eight so- or seven guys in the box. Yeah. You know, so uh, we just, you know, now these guys are going to have to, 
guys are going to have to back up, you know? So I thought that was kind of interesting that they felt like they were, you know, they were helping Mixon by not drafting a left tackle, but by drafting an explosive wide receiver. And, and guys, I'll tell you what, the chase Ramsey battle, chase landslide, no mm. contest. Chase mm. overpowered and physically the big physical Jalen Ramsey who intimidates wide receivers. Chase treated him like his little brother. Throw in T. Higgins, tossing him aside like a rag doll as well. Yeah, by the face mask. <laughs> <laughs> details, details. Exactly. <laughs> We're not going to let the facts get in the way of a good story. So I pointed the lap signal into the Cincinnati sky this week. We have a bunch of ask lap questions, or in this case, ask lap Butch and Dan questions. So I'm going to... Uh, specifically start with one that was intended for lap. And these are actually two separate questions. One from somebody named John, another question from a guy named Brian, John asked, should the Bengals consider playing Jonah Williams at a different position? Brian asked lap. Do you still think Jonah Williams best spot might be center? So what do you think on that topic in general, the notion of moving Jonah Williams from left tackle and, and possibly even uh, having him wind up someday at center? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he could be a good center. You know, I thought that from Jump Street. I thought that uh, he had all the all the physical and mental qualities and capabilities that are necessary to, uh, to play that position. You know, uh, really well. But I do want to I do want to take a, a second here to say, Trey Hopkins, hell of a job, man. I mean, you talk about coming back in a short period of time from a, a, a reconstructed ACL. Are you kidding me? And to play, uh, suck it up and play like you played. That's not easy to do. It's not easy to do, believe me. And, uh, and he did it, and he, he, he's a grinder, man. Uh, I, I got a lot of respect for what Trey Hawkins did and how he did it. It's, that, that is not an easy accomplishment, and, uh, and he pulled it off and, and tipped my cap to him. Um, but my, my mindset on this is, depending on what they get in, in free agency and in the draft, and you don't have to go very far to find a model Last year, the Kansas City Chiefs, their offensive line got taken apart in the Super Bowl. And Patrick Mahomes was uh, serpentining backwards the whole day, running around, you know, like a chicken with his head cut off and having to make 50-yard throws just to get the ball back to the line of scrimmage, it seemed like. Um, and so they, they said, all right, we're going to rebuild. They signed two in free agency, and they drafted two. And uh, all of them end up starting. You know, they got, they got Orlando Brown and uh, Tooney at, at uh, Garden Tackle. And they got Humphrey and they got another guard and as rookies. And that, that was four out of their five guys. In my mind, with the offensive line right now, depending on what happens in free agency and the draft, I, I, I just I put everybody in a bag. And I say, all right, who are my five best linemen? And where can I put them to get my five best linemen on the football field? Adenogy, in my opinion, is still he's a better tackle than a guard because he has athleticism. He's got feet. He didn't have enough lead in his ass, in my opinion, to play guard. I mean, he got, he got overpowered by bull rushers inside. I think he's a little bit better on the edge, potentially. So, you know, and, and Jonah, okay, yeah, maybe take a look at Jonah at center, depending on what you get. Who, who, who are you going to get in free agency? If you can get a guard and tackle in free agency like they did, Kansas City did, and then draft a center and a guard or, you know, draft two guard, whatever it is, um, you know, and say, okay, it's a, it's a competition. Nobody has a job and nobody should come back after this off season thinking they have a starting job. You got to come back fighting your tail off just to get a starting position 
with the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line and may the best man win and guys may be tried in different positions. I, you know, I, whoever my five best guys are that I see, you know, kind of uh, percolate and formulating out of that competition, find spots for them to play. And um, there, there may be guys playing different positions than they played last year. There may be four out of the five guys, maybe new guys, just like what happened with the Kansas city chiefs. Don't know. All I know is it's got to be open season competition wise. Get as many bodies as you can, good bodies in there to compete as you possibly can. The best man wins. Our next question comes from Steven. Butch, you can tackle this. Do the Bengals need to draft another receiver with real speed? I like Trent Taylor, but assuming Auden Tate moves on, there is no real depth. Am I right? That's Steven's question. Yeah, he's right. I mean, they were lucky this year. They, uh, their three guys didn't get hurt. I mean, I think they only lost uh, out of three guys out of a potential 51 games. They got 49. They only lost T Higgins for two. They're lucky. So yeah, they got to, uh, you figure Tate's gone. They're going to have to draft somebody. I've, I've looked to probably the middle of the draft. Probably. Uh, I think, I don't think I can't see him going out in free agency, but I could see them, uh, spending a, a third or a fourth for a guy they think that can come in and play. Next question. This is a combined question from our friend Austin Elmore and also somebody named Chris. Lap, you can tackle this. Why do you think the Bengals have struggled with the draft and the development of offensive linemen? Yeah, well, I, I can say that uh, they haven't for the entire history of the franchise. They get the best left tackle that has ever played and he's in the hall of fame and the best right tackle um, in, amongst the best ever in the history of the national football league. And he'll be in the hall of fame shortly. Willie Anderson. It's not like they've never been able to uh, uh, uncover and develop, you know, talent, Max Montoya, the guard position. I mean, there's, there's uh, a lot of instances that you can, you can go back to, but that's going back a ways, obviously. And we're talking about this uh, football team. I know people are going to throw Cedric away. He, you know, out there, uh, Billy Price obviously didn't work out. And at least they got some value there with B.J. Hill uh, with the Billy Price thing. They have a seventh-round draft pick from the New York Giants in this year's draft that eight picks and the, eight, the extra pick is as a result of that trade. So it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving. But, um, yeah, hopefully they, they identify the people they identify in the draft uh, pan out and produce. But, you know, you look, you look at it, they, they, it's not like they didn't try last year, second, fourth, and sixth round. And I, I would not give up on any of them in the second, fourth, and sixth round. Right now, it's, you know, you, you, I, I remember what it was like to be a rookie offensive lineman. And, man, you don't know what you don't know. You're going against grown men. You're 22, 23 years old, and you're playing against guys, you know, in a lot of cases, 10 years older than you, that have old man strength and old man knowledge. And sometimes it takes a little, a little bit to make an adjustment. And, uh, you know, I, I really, I think, I think Deontay Smith would have made some noise this year if he stayed healthy. I think, I think that kid has, has some, some, uh, something to him, some fiber to him. And, and I think, you know, work with him. Hill, it was a lot of times it was too big for him as a rookie lineman. That doesn't mean it's always going to be too big for him from a mental standpoint. You get overwhelmed mentally a little bit but he's got some physical traits now. So the guy, the guys they drafted in those three rounds and then 
Jackson Carmen just has to, you know, make football his number one priority and trust his technique more than he does. He'll one, one play he'll show like, wow, that's, that's impressive. And then the next play, what the hell was that? You know, it's, so he's, he's all over the board. Um, he needs to be more consistent, trusting his technique and, and uh, football has to become, you know, his one and only, he's got a lot of interest. Football has to be the, the, the paramount interest. So um, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't give up on developing those three guys. I, hey, I, Lap, I was, it's okay if I ask you something. I've been meaning to ask you this for, for a while, and I'm just now this discussion has spurred it. But do you think it's harder in the last three, four, five years? Is it harder for an offensive lineman to come into the league now, maybe more so than earlier, than maybe 10 years ago, just because of the style they play in college? They're playing seven on seven in college, and it just seems like the linemen, it's just, it just seems like a different game now when they come up here. I was wondering about that do you think it takes longer now to get entrenched yeah i mean i i, I don't think that uh necessarily in in uh, in college football that they teach great pass protection technique you know I, I mean it's it's i i look at a lot of offensive linemen in the way they they're pass protecting what they're doing it's uh it's, it's not going to translate very well in the national football league but i'll, I'll tell you <laughs> having played in an era where you couldn't use your hands and then, you know, you had to keep your hands into your chest and you were just a punching bag. I mean, they could head slap you. They could do anything they wanted to you. And you couldn't even defend yourself. Yeah. Pass protection, pass protection was, was like miserable. I mean, that's why you only threw it 20, 25 times a game because it was like, you couldn't, you couldn't keep these great athletes away from your quarterback long enough. I mean, you were a human punching bag, you know, retreating, giving ground grudgingly and just getting smacked around. And all you wanted to do was run block and knock people off the line of scrimmage. And if you got in third and eight, it was like, oh, God, you know, here we go. It's going to be a double head slap. Both my ears are going to be ringing, you know, and everything else. So it's it's much it's a much different game now. And they, they, when they liberalized, it was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, it was like you were let out of prison when I was able, able to extend your hands and arms. And I was like, oh, man, this is unbelievable. So, so I mean, there's. There's yin and yang. There's give and take to it. But I mean, obviously, the athletes are getting bigger, faster, better, stronger, all that stuff. Um, but I, but I think it's just all. I, I, I'm not sure at the collegiate level that uh, the technique that's being taught the offensive lineman from a pass protection standpoint. And, and I don't think they necessarily all they say is you know keep keep them occupied for a couple of seconds, guys. That's all we need. And no, uh, need a little bit more than that in the National Football League, you know. Um, so. Yeah, I, I think uh, there's still an adjustment, still a big-time adjustment coming from college football and National Football League for that reason, I think. Our next question comes from Awuja the Goat. How likely is it that the Bengals extend Eli Apple? What do you think, Butch? I think it's a, I think it's a possibility. I, I think they got to make some hay in some other places first. Uh, I think they, you know, I think they like what he did. I mean, I, uh, I know he's getting... Uh, He's getting drilled for what happened in the Super Bowl, but I mean, geez, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, just think if you didn't have him, you know, I mean, I think he was a guy that uh, really, really helped them. Clearly, corner is a position that they that they have to look at, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think they'll take a look at bringing him back, but uh, you know, I think they got to make, I think they got to make hay in some other places first, and then they'll look at that. Safe to assume that Trey Wayne's is a cap casualty. 
What do you yeah, think? you'd have to think so. I don't know, Lap. What do you think? I'm 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 thinking that that's that's a big number for a guy that I think he, what he played. How many snaps did he play in his two years? Two hundred and fifty. Yeah, I mean the, the uh, there's a lot of as the old saying goes, a lot of abilities are unnecessary, and the biggest is availability. And he certainly wasn't, you know. So uh, fact that that he didn't, it just didn't pan out for him physically. Uh, and and it's sad because I think I think if he stayed healthy, he could have contributed. He could have contributed pretty darn well. I mean, they they paid him that money for a reason, and and it was a good reason. I I agree with you with respect to Apple. I I don't think. I think it's going to be if he's looking to hit the lottery, they ain't going to resign him. But if he's reasonable, you got to have somebody. You got to have bodies back there. Who the hell they got? You know, I mean, if if if, if one becomes a cap casualty, you got to you got to sign the other one until you, at least you go into um, you know the draft, or if you don't get anybody else in free agency, you, you have to. But I think it has to be a reasonable deal for him to re, be resigned. I don't think you know his uh, his his agent, his people can you know, can, can go to the Bengals trying to break the bank. So I, I agree. I think, you know, I think the Bengals will approach free agency just like they always have. They're going to sign the guys their own that they feel like, you know, they need to bring back and, and keep the continuity and all that sort of thing. That's what they're going to attack first and foremost. And well, he's, me, he's one of them. Let me follow up with that uh, lap. What happens with Jesse Bates in your opinion? You know, I, he may get tagged initially, but uh, that, that one's going to be interesting because, uh, obviously during the regular season, I think, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll admit that he didn't play up to his standard, even, you know, the standard that he sets for himself. I think he kind of got in his head a little bit, um, but in the playoffs down the stretch, down the stretch when they needed him, and in the playoffs, he might've been, he might've been defensive MVP, you know, in the playoffs and down the stretch of the regular season, nobody played any better than him. And, and I'm hearing all kinds of uh, defensive backs, former safeties, former defensive backs um, on these shows, you know, doing wrap-ups of the Super Bowls and then the season in general, the playoffs, all raving about Jesse Bates, you know, and how well he played. So, um, yeah, he, I, I, think, I think eventually, hopefully they can get it done, but I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be shocked to see him tagged and, you know, you can always remove it. Uh, to sign him and remove it to allow him to become a free agent. But I think wouldn't shock me uh, to see him tagged at some point here. Next question comes from Jake, but you can tackle this one. Who would be the number one free agent you would sign if you were the GM? We can all take a run at this question. Who would be your number one free agent of choice? That's a good one. I mean, I guess uh, the kid from New Orleans, but uh, the left tackle, uh, from the walls, but he's going to be 20 million a year. So I don't know. I don't know. Right. How you take him. I think I might go, you know, given the price, I don't think there's, you know, I think their two best options are to resign Hill and Hill and Ogan Joby. And if I was going to go, if I was going to get a player in free agency, I might go like the Connor Williams route from Dallas, mm -hmm. a strong, you know, a good interior player that doesn't break the bank that, you know, that's going to come in and play. Still young, you know, like a turn 25 yeah. until May. Right. Right. I, you know, I could, you know, Jen, you know, uh, 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 the, the center in Tampa Jensen is Ryan interesting, Jensen. but he's going to yeah. be 31 years, you know, he's going to be 31 years old. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I think I'd rather go with a nice, you know, kind of what they did last year. They got those guys on the second contracts, you know, fresh 25, 26, if you get a guard like that, like Williams, I think that's what I'd do. 
All right, Lap, you've got the unlimited checkbook. Who are you signing? <laughs> if I have an unlimited checkbook, I'd sign Brandon Kerr. <laughs> I'd sign Armstead. I'd sign them all if I had an unlimited checkbook. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I could see Brent, uh, Connor Williams. The only thing about him is, hell, he had 13 penalties last year. Dallas led the National Football League in penalties. And he had 13 of them. Man, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a penalty machine right there. He's got to, you know, do a better job of keeping his hands inside the framework of the body. And that, that's not the only thing. It wasn't just holding penalties. He had some pre-snap issues and, and things of that nature. That, so that one, you know, would be a little bit of concern to me. Um, but again, like you guys are saying, he, he's in a price range that's reasonable. But a guy who's he's not a spring chicken anymore either. But this kid played at Anderson High School. He went to Ohio State. And uh, he was an undrafted player going to the National Football League to Carolina, uh, made the Pro Bowl, made all pro. Uh, now he's you know, finishing up with the Jaguars. Andrew Norwell is a guy that I think would be in a situation, boy, you come back, you know, like the state of Ohio deal, Joe, uh, Joe Burrow, Sam Hubbard, Andrew Norwell. <laughs> bring, bring another guy that played his high, you know, Kevin Huber, another guy that played his high school and college football here in the state of Ohio. And let him have his last contract here. Uh, he's, he's a guy that could solidify, you know, help solidify things inside. He wouldn't cost a fortune. He got a big, he got a huge deal going from uh, Carolina to Jacksonville. He was the highest paid lineman. You know, five, I think it was five years, 66 million bucks, something like that. But you're not going to get any kind of deal like that now. I think it would be a reasonable situation. If he's still playing at a high enough level, I think there are a lot of, a lot of factors there. I, and I know, uh, you know, my understanding is, is uh, you know, his, fam his, his parents are a little bit uh, in, not in great health and for him to be close by would be a, a factor. But who, who knows? Who knows if all those things can be worked out? But that, that guy would be somebody that, I'd, uh, you know, I'd, I'd potentially target. And I don't I don't know if, uh, you know, if, if dolls make sense. I do know that uh, he's got an agent that can be tough to deal with Drew Rosenhaus. There's no no doubt about that. He can be difficult. Thing about Drew though, he'll make a deal. He'll make, he'll a, make deal. a deal. You know, <laughs> yep. I kind of the thing about Rosenhaus is, you know, he's tough, but um, if he sees the fit, if he sees the fit with Cincinnati and Norwell and the club, he'll make it happen. These other guys will, you know, they'll go on vacation or they'll surf or they'll, you won't hear from them, but you know, Drew's working the phones. So my free agent of choice is Brandon Scherf. And hear me out yeah. here. Hear me out here. here. So each of the last couple of years, obviously the Bengals have spent a ton of money in free agency and they still, when possible, try to find that guy who might be a little bit less expensive, but they see something in that person that they think, all right, we can get something out of this guy that for whatever reason hasn't happened yet. Chidabe Awuja, the perfect example of that one of the best corners in the NFL. And relatively speaking, they got him at a bargain basement price, but they've also spent big on a guy each of the last two years. They made DJ reader the highest paid nose tackle in the NFL. When they got that deal done, yep. they made Trey Hendrickson, yep. one of the highest paid edge rushers, not at the very top of the scale, but obviously making a ton of money. So for me, Brandon Scherf can be that guy this year. Now he's a guard. He's not a tackle, so he's not going to make $20 million a year. He might make 
15, 16, 17, I don't know, something like that. But he's a five-time pro bowler. He's 30 years old, tremendous player. Let's get one of the very best in the league into the middle of that offensive line. And, you know, I I hate to uh, take up a big chunk of my available cap dollars on one guy, but if he can make that much of a difference, I'm willing to, I'm willing to pay it. Now that probably prevents, probably prevents you from keeping both Ogan Joby and BJ Hill. You you probably have to pick one or the other or, or moves like that, but that's, that's where I'm feeling as of, February the 23rd. I was going to say he didn't give up a sack last year. He didn't give up one. So, I mean, he, he's, he's definitely the guy, but you're right, Dan, he's going to be, he'll be a, you know, $50 million a year, $55 million, uh, not a year, $55 million package, three years, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And the one difference from this year to, to those two other years, when they paid a guy, the guy they've already paid is going to be Bates at 13 million. If they tag him. Yeah. That right. That might be the chunk. Yep. All true. All true. But a man can dream. All right. Our next no question. question. Our next question comes from Greg. I'll send this one to you, Lap. Would you trade the Bengals' number one draft pick this year for Laramie Tunsil of the Texans? There would, there would be, uh, I'd be, I'd be uh, intrigued uh, potentially, but, you know, because, it's it's obviously the thirty first pick in the in the uh, in the first round. I wonder if they would accept the yeah, trade. It would probably uh, take more than that, quite honestly. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not sure that I would. That's basically a high two. You know, late one, high two, or whatever. I mean, I, I think I think you'd have to sweeten the the pot a little bit. I mean, if if it were just that, I'd you know I'd have to be huh, that'd be pretty tempting to do. Yeah. Um, but I I just I don't see that. Uh, you know, a trade has to satisfy both parties, and I'm not sure that that would necessarily. I think he makes, you know, I think he makes 18 mil. For two so, more years. Yeah. So you give him 18 mil uh, per year. I mean, it's like 18 Correct. mil per year, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so now you're now you're knocking yourself out of Ogan Joby and maybe Hill. I don't know. Yeah. 27 years old, two-time pro bowler, one of the best at his position. I think if if they only wanted the 31st pick in the draft, I would do it even despite the money. But I would think the Texans would want more than that. They paid a lot more uh, to get them yep. than that. So no doubt. that's probably no doubt. unlikely. All right, let's get in a couple more questions and then I'll let you go. Next question comes from Raymond. Send this one your way, Butch. 48 seconds to go. Third down and one. Why not Mixon? Probably asking the wrong guy, Raymond. <laughs> did you send? Did you send that in under the name Raymond? <laughs> you know, I can only, I you know, only what's, your go middle by, name? what's your middle name? <laughs> Everybody does not love Raymond, but I think, <laughs> but I think uh, third and one. You know, I think you just have to go by what Zach said. I mean, I, I, I mean, he said he, he was faced with putting Mixon in the game. He didn't want to really screw with the package, the two minute drill. And, you know, I mean, yeah, if it's me, I'm, I'm, you know, you know, you know me, I'm, I'm, I got borrow under center, giving it to Mixon. And if not on fourth one, I got borrow under center sneaking it. But, you know, again, Zach had his reasons. He was in a two minute mode. He's trying to score. He's trying to win the game. He's trying to win the Super Bowl. I can't fault him by saying, okay, I'm going to stick with this, you know, I think what they thought 
And in the reasoning is sound. I think they thought with Pirine in the game, they're thinking they're not going to run. Right. And they didn't, you know, they didn't, uh, it didn't happen. So I think that's, I think that's the answer. They, they figured they weren't going to run in that look and they tried to run. Well, and I'll say as a former lineman that um, I wouldn't be happy with what I did at the line of scrimmage. I'm not sure if Jimmy Brown with a running back would have been a first down. I mean, you got to get a little bit better movement and finish the block a little bit better than, uh, than took place, you know? So I don't know. Um, you know, like I say, I'm not going to second guess the guy, the guy got him, to, you know, I'm not going to second guess Zach cause he got him to the super bowl. So who am I, you know, that's just what I would have done, but I, you know, who knows, maybe, you know, like lap said, maybe, maybe Mixon would have got stopped too. You don't know. All right. Our final question comes from Tyler. This is for you lap. Tyler's question is please tell me that lap is coming back next year. <laughs> not to play no no not to play <laughs> how much Man. do you want lap how much do I you would, want i would just request that you two guys speak at my funeral because if i came back <laughs> it would be a quick death <laughs> so uh yeah no i'll my my plan is to definitely uh join the uh the hall of famer and the uh the four-time Ohio's broadcast of the year, Dan Horton in the booth. That's my I'd plan. I love you, Lap. That's the best news I've heard all day. That's exactly. My day is made. <laughs> my day is made. Fellas, this was fun. Really appreciate your time. Look forward to doing more of these as the, uh, as the months go on before we get back to training camp and can do it in person. Hey, Raymond, quit writing in, will you? <laughs> <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. This past season, Ultimate Bengals awarded a weekly winner during the course of the year with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the App Store and Google Play. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.